and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about cation exchange capacity and the reason why it's so important to know that in your soils. If you've got any questions about that, or if you'd like to talk about anything that's happening on your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So we will be talking cation exchange capacity today, but we're going to go right to the phone lines here. Got Larry calling in again from Ohio. We just talked to Larry a little bit yesterday about some spraying that he was going to do. Hey, Larry, how are you? Cold. (laughs) It's trying to snow here in Ohio. Good grief. Yeah, it's nice and warm here where we're at in South Dakota, almost 70 degrees. Well, it's cold here, and I got my coat on, and well, I'm shelling corn, but yesterday I talked to you about spraying milestone. I don't know if I stood yep. you correctly. Uh, I chopped, I don't know if I told you, I chopped uh, the top of it off, and where the tractor uh, and chopper went, I covered the thistles up. Now, can I can I still get a good call, uh, kill if I use the milestone? Okay, so... Or should what, I wait till spring? Okay, so how long ago did you chop off the tops? Just last week. Okay. And I, I'll, I'll just put it to you this way. So I don't know without looking at it if it's going to work great or not, but here are the couple things that I would consider. Number one, can I get spray coverage on that weed? And number two, is the weed actively growing? The nice thing with Milestone, just like Toradon, because that was the other product we talked about yesterday for killing thistles, either one, they have tremendous soil residual. So if you spray now this fall, here's what you're going to gain. You're going to ding up the top. You're most likely still going to get some down into the root system. You're going to get the residual started. You're now, or then this winter, when winter kill kind of sets in, it's going to damage that thistle plant even more, giving you a better chance for a kill. Plus, you're going to get snow on the ground and moisture that's going to work that milestone down into the ground. So I would still at least consider spraying this fall, but I could certainly see if you said, well, I don't know that I'm going to get all this done, and so I'll just wait till spring. Either way is fine with me. Whatever you decide to do, those are kind of the factors I would consider, though. I just thought because I had I covered them up with uh, grass that they wouldn't get the milestone down in there. Yeah, but I mean, if it's up. yeah, I know. But if it's been a week already, then I would assume a lot of that grass has now fallen to the ground because of wind and you know just the plants growing and all that stuff. But if not, and if you're worried about it, then then just wait till spring. That's what we always tell people. If there's something that you're going to do that's going to really make you nervous and worry about it, just wait. It's not like it's that big a deal. But would I still consider spraying this year? Yes, I just take a look at it, see what I think, and kind of go from there. And with Milestone, at least, you do have really good residual, so that's the nice thing about it. Even if you don't have perfect coverage, you know that by getting it out there, eventually here over the course of the winter and early spring, it's going to get into the ground, and eventually you will kill those thistles. Oh, okay. Uh, I just thought I kind of asked the elevator how much that would cost me to put seven ounces on, Yep. and I think he said around $50 an acre. Uh, That seems awfully high. Um, Let me take a look at... 
Let's see. Yeah, that's what we that's pretty some that's pretty high, year. Larry. And, and sometimes we see guys mixing 2,4-D with it. I I like the straight milestone yep. myself for killing the thistles. It, it's it shouldn't be that much though. I, I know if you're spraying nope. it yourself uh, and there's no application charges or anything like that, I I would think it's going to cost half of that or even well, less. just yeah, just hang on. I I I just got a price on it. Just hang on a minute. I'll get it here. So, Larry, you know, when you think about these issues, I, I guess uh, that's a challenge. The cold weather you got now, hopefully that's short-lived. Like like Brandon was saying before, we're warm now, and we're sending it your way. So hopefully in the next day or two, uh, okay. you, get the, you get the warm-up <laughs> as well. So we were just cold here, too. We just had some really cold mornings, and I was thinking, oh, it's going to take care of the bugs now. We aren't going to have bugs anymore. Man, there's so many box elder bugs and lady beetles and those tiny little noceums uh, that come out of the cornfields uh, and bite you. Uh, there's there's plenty of those little bugs out there, so they're still they still got one more hurrah before we get really cold out there with this warm up we got. In fact, they're even talking. Oh, good. Ice last night here. Yeah, we saw I some ice, ice too. Okay. Yeah, we. we okay. Did. Well, I'll, getting back to the fifty dollars, he said he was going to look it up. He thought offhand it was going to cost fifty dollars, but I ain't sure. Yeah, brands brands are okay. brands are right. shopper and our negotiator, Larry. Right. So brands brands usual response is that's too high. All we right. got to be able to find it cheaper. So what we bought seven ounces for this summer was eighteen bucks. So it could be twenty bucks. It's certainly not fifty. So well, then <laughs> he threw me a high figure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's shocking that somebody trying to sell you something would sh- would throw you a high figure, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, All right. Okay. Well, I guess I could afford to spray it twice for that kind of price. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Hey, thanks for calling okay, in, Larry. Good luck much. out there. You bet. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Brian. Get another egg uh, PhD mailbag question here. If we could jump into that real quick. It's the mailbag. This came from Rex. He said, "Guys, you were talking about cleaning up bins and spraying before you fill them up. That's why yep. I wanted to get to this right away because it's timely." Uh, he said, "Guys, tell me one more time. What were the pesticides you were using in the bin? Uh, I want to do things right." We'll do a combination of a pyrethroid like Tempo along with malathion. So that is an organophosphate. So we got two different chemistries in there, and then we don't have to worry as much about insect resistance or anything like that. Yeah, a lot of times people will spray around the outside of the bin too just to and make sure nothing thing. else gets in. Just use yep. that same combination. You'll be able yep. to to wipe out just about everything. The other thing would be mowing things down, cleaning things up around the outside of the bin. Uh, if you've got tall grass, and I don't know how many bin sites I've visited where they got tall grass or, or even bushes and, and stuff kind of overgrown vegetation around there. Clean that up so you don't give any shot for, for little rodents to, to try to get in your bin to have a nice little uh, space there that's protected all right we're going to talk about soils in, on today's program and specifically about cation exchange capacity but as you can tell we'll be taking your calls throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD so if you've got a question please call in stay tuned we'll be right back Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. 
Introducing our most advanced technology from Hypro, the 9915 series diaphragm pumps. Upgraded with corrosion-resistant materials and a multi-piston design to work longer and harder in any condition. Hypro, right on technology, right on target. It came on a night like any other, with power unlike anything else on Earth. Using beyond advanced active ingredients like bicyclopyrone, Acuron GT post-emergence corn herbicide is here to annihilate tough weeds. Advanced technology, enhanced control. Talk to your Syngenta retailer about Acuron GT. Always read and follow label instructions. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. If we only had 20 words to talk about AgBiome, we would say we are agricultural innovators, focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our phone lines are open throughout the show. If you've got an agronomic question, I know we've gotten, we've heard from a lot of farmers saying, hey, we're out soil sampling right now. Some of these soil topics are really important to us to help understand what's going on. Uh, it's one of the reasons we're talking about cation exchange capacity on today's program. If you've got a question, it doesn't have to be about that topic. It could be about anything. Again, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Sit down in Nebraska, get Zach Carlson with us with Sound Ag. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you guys? How about you guys? You know, we are doing quite well. And and one of the things with cation exchange capacity uh, that we look at on our farm is uh, related back to nitrogen and how much nitrogen we feel like our soil can hold. And trying to manage that component is is a really big deal if we want to be successful with our crop. Uh, I, I know you get to talk to a lot of farmers out there. Uh, what are some of the things that you're hearing, and uh, what do you hear when guys talk about cation exchange? Well, you know, going back to uh, you know the way that uh, the way the farming's going right now. Obviously, fertility is a, a big kind of hot topic in the in the marketplace, with uh, with cropping prices high, but also the fertility prices that are high too. Uh, managing nitrogen is definitely something that comes top of mind um, in a lot of conversations as we uh, consult things through kind of the agronomy side of us. So. When we kind of look at, uh, you know, managing nitrogen, we want to make sure that we're looking at, uh, obviously, soil characteristics. And part of that is the cation exchange capacity, the ability for that soil to uh, store those positively charged ions or cat, uh, cations. And, you know, that is related to a lot of, you know, clay and organic matter within the soil. So um, we really have to be looking at that on how to manage nitrogen effectively and how much can we hold. So... When we're using, you know, cation exchange capacity, there is a certain factor, usually by 10 or whatever that number is, 
that's usually how many you know pounds of nitrogen that could be hold in any you know single time in that soil so think of a bucket if that bucket overflows then we obviously have some leaching that can possibly happen so soil characteristics have a lot to do with uh with how cec and nitrogen are are managed in that soil you know, we see this vary a lot across farms, Well, and we get a lot of people will send soil tests to us, and they'll have some 25 CEC and some 12, and it's in the same mm-hmm. field. And that kind of gets yep. to be a challenge for guys because they say, man, uh, if I'm putting nitrogen out, maybe I could hold more in some areas of my field, but others I can't, and uh, sometimes variable rate application comes in. But a lot of times guys are looking for additional tools. What, what are some other things I could do to enable my crop? To, to do a little better, uh, catch some of its own end, or, or potentially even produce some of my own end. Those technologies are pretty exciting. Yeah, they are. And obviously with sound agriculture, we're, we're uniquely positioned into a marketplace uh, with the NUE space or nitrogen use efficiency space. And uh, there's a lot of tools out there. Um, obviously, Source by Sound Agriculture is one of those. Um, that uh, is uniquely positioned to uh, capture nitrogen out of the atmosphere through the activation of microbes in the soil and also, um, you know, liberating some of that phosphorus that's been tied up based upon the pH. So um, that's obviously a tool that's out there. There's others that, uh, you know, utilize microbes, um, adding those to the soil. Uh, we believe we're, we're uniquely positioned being a chemistry, a lot more stable and a foliar applied application, uh, specifically on corn and beans and obviously our expansion crops uh, to really utilize what's in that soil with those microbes. So if we can, you know, um, I guess bring down the NUE score. So if we're one to one, a lot of growers uh, kind of you know easily can think about one to one. How many bushels am I getting off that field versus how many uh, pounds of nitrogen or units of nitrogen that I'm putting in there? If we can reduce that, obviously soil health increases, and uh, we're increasing obviously in organic matter and that CEC, those variables um, that can happen, like you you mentioned across that field those can really be mitigated um, across, the, across the whole entire operation because no, not every soil or every field is, is a uniform, um, I guess, uh, a platform that we can work off of. Right, right. We know not every acre is going to produce uh, as yep. much, and we just want to yep. be as efficient yep. as we can with what we're doing out there. And I, I think you bring up some good points here. The other thing that I'd say is this. We don't want to be regulated. Brandon and I have visited mm-hmm. other places around the world where they are regulated, and there's only so much N that they can apply per season, per acre. And, boy, you really got to be sharp if if you're limited in how much N, because we know that's an important nutrient. So rather than having regulation, we just want to encourage growers to pay attention and, and manage things as closely as they can, utilizing some of these new tools that can help us without having to necessarily apply quite as many pounds of N. Maybe there's some other ways we can keep the N around longer or help that crop to uh, to produce more N and get more N out of the soil and out of the air, that type of thing. So really appreciate uh, having you on here. We've been talking with Zach Carlson yeah. with Sound Ag. Uh, Zach, uh, look, look forward to having you back again soon. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. The biggest thing for me when I start thinking about cation exchange capacity is just we want to know what this number is. And you might say, well, a lot of people say it's not important and I don't really need to know it. Here's why we want to know it. Because we talk to farmers all over North America and a lot of times people say, oh, I have heavy ground or oh, I have light ground. Well, 
just that that's a very relative term. And I've told this story a couple of times on the show before, but it was probably, I don't know, three or four years ago, I was doing a meeting up in Canada. And I it was, was talking about soils. And a guy comes up afterwards and he goes, hey, can you take a look at my soil tests? And I go, sure. Yeah, no problem. And he goes, and the first thing he hands me is he goes, well, this is my light sandy ground. Now, fortunately, he had cation exchange capacity on the test because normally if I think light sandy ground, that's going to be less than 10 cation exchange capacity and maybe even less than five. When we think about medium textured soils, we usually talk 10 to 20 on the cation exchange capacity test and over 20 we consider to be heavy soil. So anyway, this farmer walks up. He says, all right, here's my light sandy soil. I look at it and I go, whoa, this isn't light sandy soil. That's a 33 CEC. 33, that's super heavy ground. He goes, well, it's not nearly as heavy as this other ground. And that was 41. He handed me that test. So anyway, had I made a recommendation for light sandy ground, it would have been whole different than what I talked to him about when, when he had 33 CEC. Now, the thing with cation exchange capacity, it's not going to change much at all from year to year and maybe not even decade to decade because it's a measurement of the type of clay you have in your soil, the amount of clay that's in your soil, and the amount of organic matter in your soil. So the only one of those three things you can change is organic matter. So yes, if you build your organic matter, your cation exchange capacity will rise a little bit. If you deplete your organic matter, your cation exchange capacity will go down a little bit. That's the only thing that you can change there. Now I will say this, just about every lab runs a calculation for cation exchange capacity where they look at, well, how much calcium's in there and magnesium and some of these elements, and they figure, okay, a light soil can't hold as many of those. A heavy soil can hold more of those. So they'll use a calculation rather than doing an actual test of the clay and the type of clay and that kind of thing. So that's generally speaking how a lot of the labs come up with it. But either way, the point is cation exchange capacity is important for us to know because now we don't just have a, a general idea. Oh, it's heavy or oh, it's light. We know specifically where it's at. One of the biggest things that we'll use it for in terms of recommendations is we'll, we'll, it will factor into lime because the higher your CEC, the higher your cation exchange capacity, the more lime it's going to take to change pH. And then the more nitrogen your soil can hold, that higher the higher the cation exchange capacity is. So if you have a 5 CEC, we usually will say this. Take 10 times your CEC, and that's roughly how much nitrogen your soil can hold at any one time. It's not an exact figure, but at least gets you close. Well, if you had that 5 CEC, 5 times 10 is only 50 pounds of nitrogen. On the other hand, think about that guy in Canada that had a 33 to a 41 CEC. Well, that's 330 to 410 pounds of nitrogen. Now, I'm not suggesting that a guy goes out and spreads 400 pounds of nitrogen in one application, but I am saying... He's got a much, much, much better chance to hold lots of nitrogen than the guy with the truly light soil and low cation exchange capacity. All right, lots to talk about here on today's program, but we want to take your calls and agronomic questions too. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. It takes balance to be successful in farming. Because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. 
Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. We're talking about soils and specifically about the exchange capacity in those soils. Some will call it cation exchange capacity. Some will say total exchange capacity. Uh, there are a few different measurements that get used for this, but it's certainly something important that you should know. And we're real happy to have our friend Neil Kinsey on right now to talk about this just a little bit. Of course, Neil, a worldwide expert on soils, works with farmers growing just about every crop you can imagine. Neil, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. All right, so when we look at the exchange capacity of soils, uh, why is that so important to know? I know you include that on the soil test that you run for the customers that you work with. Uh, what do you use uh, that number for? Well, what we look at is the higher the exchange capacity, the more of uh, the various positively charged 
uh, elements we need in order to get a proper percentage of each in those soils. So really, we're looking at the amount of negative charge that will attack, uh, attract positively charged ions. Now, you mentioned something there that sounded expensive, Neil. When we've got high exchange capacity, we need more pounds of nutrients out there to, to get things in balance. And it is tougher when things get out of balance in those high exchange capacity soils. So does that necessarily mean they're better or worse? No, it doesn't necessarily mean they're better or worse. If you if you've got a really high exchange capacity and everything is already there in the proper amounts, I'd re- I'd really love to have that because uh, it doesn't cost any more to keep those whatever nutrients you take out. That's all you got to supply back. Uh, so uh, a high exchange that's way out of whack, yes, that's going to be expensive. But uh, the higher exchanges that do very well. Not not really that true. Uh, I, I would say we spend as much money trying to keep sands in shape as we do uh, well, uh, well, uh, very fertile, high exchange capacity soils. You know, I, I, oftentimes we talk about balance, and I know that's something big that, that you talk about and, and the consultants that you work with uh, often talk about balance in the soil. And for farmers that say, oh, man, I don't know, Darren, it's going to take a little bit to get things back into balance when they get out of balance. You're right. Once you get things into balance, uh, that that's a pretty good place to be. And then, then it's just maintaining things. So what are some of the things when you, you look at this exchange capacity that, that are a little tougher when you've got low, low exchange capacity or high exchange capacity? What's the big challenge in the low CEC or low TEC soils? And, and how about in the high side? Well, in the low TE soils, to me, the, the big challenge is making, if you have a, a very, very low TEC, something below an exchange capacity of four, then it gets more and more difficult to make sure we have enough negative charges there to hold the positively charged ion. Some soils, we actually have to get to the point that they can't hold enough nutrients to grow the kind of crops we're trying to grow. And if we look at what the proper amount is needed there, we do that first. But then we make sure in terms of pounds per acre that there's an, enough of each one of those so that the crop can pick up what it needs. So in very low exchange capacity soil, there are places that we don't, it doesn't have enough, uh, uh, it doesn't have enough ability to actually attract and hold the cations that was necessary to grow the crop. In terms of the very high exchanges, there, what we're concerned about is getting the percentages such that they'll work. For example, and I've heard you talk about this a number of times, and that is we can have six, seven, eight hundred pounds of potassium in a soil and still not have 2% saturation. Well, we're not going to get the best response from those soils. I'm not saying you can't grow a crop there, but you're not going to get the best response until after you get those done. So uh, when we start looking at the uh, high exchanges, it gets more and more important to say what is it that we uh, need in terms of uh, balancing out. And I, I, sometimes I don't even like to use the word balance because it's used in so many different ways, but I don't know how to say it any other way. And that is we need 2% potassium or more and uh, in order to get the best performance from a soil. 
You know, you mentioned the, the high exchange capacity soils, and we do talk to a lot of growers that say, man, I've got an exchange capacity of 20 or more, and it's going to take me some pounds to get, uh, just for an example, potassium up to the right base saturation. What are they going to notice when when they do that? What, what do you see different? Is it just simply, uh, hey, you're going to have better stocks and that type of thing? Is it is it mostly a yield component, or what's the what's the big difference by building that base saturation of K? Well, at two percent potassium, I I don't even think in many soils we're even close to where we've got the right yield uh, to get the maximize the yield. But uh, the very first thing I think of in terms of the two percent potassium is we see many soils that are below that. And uh, if you've got irrigation, you may not notice it as well. But if you're in an area where you get 20 inches of rainfall or less, and you get that potassium up above 2%, it helps you to utilize the moisture that you receive that much better. And we've seen clients that have good potassium and good zinc with 20 inches of rainfall, and you can get another 20% yield increase just by getting your potassium where it ought to be. Uh, we see this in various parts of the world, not just here in the U.S. Yeah, it's, a, it's been a big deal for us and our firm, too. And I know you mentioned in those low exchange capacity soils, just being able to hold enough nutrients is a challenge. Yet we see some of the world record growers on some of the light soils like this that just don't hold much. Boy, it requires a lot of management during the growing season to make that happen. And and we talked to consultants that work with you out in California, and they say the same thing. Man, we, we got vegetables here that have a high nutrient demand and we're just constantly having to feed them because their soils just aren't going to hold that much. That's right. And, and the first key is, all right, let's, let's get the soil because the percentages determine the structure of that soil, determine how much air and water we're going to have in there. Let's get that right first. Or when I say that, if that's looking at long-term productivity of the soil let's get that right first as we always stress if you're looking at growing a crop right now make sure we have enough of the primary elements there first so it isn't a matter to say well all right if you're going to grow a crop uh, get your soil in shape first if you're going to grow a crop make sure you have enough of the various nutrients there but if you're going to get the best response from it then you look at that long-term uh, uh, nutrient or structure, what nutrients it takes or what elements it takes to get that structure there so that you've got a right, the right amount of air and water. But once that happens in those low exchanges, now you may have 5% potassium, but that may not even, at a, an exchange capacity of two, that may not even be enough to, to still grow your crop properly. So first we look at long-term in terms of looking at soil benefit, we'll look at the percentages and getting those where they ought to be then say, is that enough to grow the kind of yield we're looking at? And if it isn't, you better supply that. Yeah, lots of things to think about as we look at soil tests, and that's why we like to see complete analysis so so we can make the best decisions. Uh, and and you talk about in in some of those soils, it it's it's not so easy, and there is a lot of variance out there. That's why it's great to consult with an expert. I've really found Neil's book Hands On Agronomy to be a, a great resource for me. And uh, of course, Neil has has been kind enough to to do some speaking appearances uh, right at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We look forward, Neil. To, to seeing you again there next spring. Um, I'm looking forward to that as well. That'll be great. 
You bet. Well, Neil, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time today having you on talking about uh, exchange capacities in the soil. It's something that doesn't change uh, rapidly or, or really very much in soils, but it's important to understand what you got out there so you can manage it the best. Uh, Neil, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. Brian, on our farm, we, we do have a variance uh, and we've got some ground that we would call heavy and it's 30 CEC or more. We've got some that we'd call light and it's down in the, I don't know, it's generally double digits, but but pretty low double digits. There's quite a variance there out in fields. And, and this one, this topic really hits home for us and just how we're going to manage things with variable rate applications, variable rate planting population and so forth. Yeah, it's just, it's nice to have something where it's rather than, oh, hey, it's this soil type or, oh, I have heavy or light. We just like having a number. It really helps us dial things in a little closer. We'll talk more about soils and take your calls and questions right after this. Pasture spraying season is upon us and your spray window may be longer than you realize. Many weeds like musk thistle and Canada thistle are still able to be controlled after a few light frosts. If you've got some ground that's losing productivity to invasive weeds, turn to proven answers like Weedmaster and Burnmaster from New Farm. Go to newfarm.com forward slash US crop to learn more. Applying fallen hydras, you know the challenges. Too warm, too wet, too cold. Hi. I'm Greg Souter with 360 Yield Center. I've shifted my nitrogen application to spring and summer. By applying my base of N with the planter, I'm putting it near the seed right before the plant needs it. Then I wide drop at V10 and apply exactly what the crop needs. Don't push an application window and risk losing your nitrogen. Learn more about a base plus nitrogen strategy at 360yieldcenter.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. 
Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Oh, excuse me. And David had a couple of comments. Uh, he said, guys, you're talking about LD50. Uh, and one of the things that I would say about atrazine, you, you made the comment that the safety factor of it is uh, – and, and how it compared to caffeine, caffeine being more dangerous dose for dose. But here's the problem. Atrazine is the most common herbicide found in drinking water. Why is that? What can farmers do to stop that? Because it leaches. So that's why I just mentioned this on the show in the last, well, sometime this week here. We never recommend atrazine used pre-emerge. Never. And the reason why is because almost all that atrazine that's ever been found in groundwater has been traced back to pre-emerge use. Because think about it for just a second. You have no crop there to absorb the herbicide. You have no root growth to absorb the herbicide. There's more chance for rain. You have less sunlight at that time of year. I mean, what's to stop the atrazine from leaching down? Nothing. I mean, just your soil. Well, I'd way rather spray it post-emerge when it goes directly on plants. So a lot of it never even hits the ground. And if it does hit the ground, there are roots growing. Plus, you think about when you're a little bit later in the season, you got a better chance for photodegradation. Uh, there's more heat, everything else. So there's just far, far less chance if you use that atrazine post-emerge that it's ever going to end up in the groundwater. And then the other big thing is rate. Well, the full maximum labeled rate is two pounds. We never recommend that. Half a pound is the most I ever like to see. Keep that rate down, and then you're not going to have so much problem with that. So here's the thing. Over the years, we as farmers and even agronomists, we've been conditioned to focus on weed control. But we also need to focus on something else. We got to take a look at the environmental factors and just the fact that if there is any kind of environmental concern, even though I'm not really worried about it hurting me or my well water or anything else, we do have to focus on everybody else. And if anybody finds this stuff in the water, that's going to cause more red flags out there. And it's going to mean potentially more regulation for all of us in agriculture. And I don't think anybody wants more regulation. Nope, that's for sure. All right, let's get back to the phone lines here. We got Keith over in Illinois with a question. Keith, how are you doing? Doing all right, Darren. How are you? Pretty good. So you got dry soils out there. What uh, What's going on with the soil sampling? What are you curious on here? Well, uh, I haven't done any soil sampling yet, but it's it's getting about that time for me. And uh, I remember I'd been to a couple of the Neil Kinsey's conferences, and, and I heard you guys speak of it too, about having your pH being a little bit skewed whenever you're trying to test soil or dry dry soil. And I didn't know if you could enlighten me a little bit on what factor that makes up the pH, gives you the pH reading, does it affect? Okay, so I don't know the whole chemistry behind it. All I really want to know or care to know as a farmer and as an agronomist is what, what, what are the facts 
on my actual reading, what does it normally read versus what does it read in a drought? So what if you read up on this a little bit, there's a bunch of information out there. A lot of times in very dry conditions, it will appear to be two-tenths to five-tenths less than normal. So for example, this year we're, we're we don't, I'm not going to say we have extreme drought, but we have, it's pretty droughty. So Instead of a normal 6.3, it might show up as a 5.8 or a 6 on my test. So some people are saying, well, I don't think we should even test. We'll just wait for rain or whatever else. Well, the problem here is we don't have many days left and winter's going to set in, the ground's going to freeze, and then there is no soil testing done. So I've been encouraging guys, just go soil test. And and instead of liming at, let's call it 6 or 5.8 or something like that, start your liming process at 5.3 or 5.5. Just figure it's a little bit lower than normal and you'll be okay. The other big factor we look at is potassium. A lot of times the potassium reading will also be a little bit less, but I don't worry about that so much because if a farmer overdoes does it by putting 20 pounds or 50 pounds of extra potassium out there. It's not going to hurt anything. And 95% of the tests, now probably 98 or 99% of the tests we see come across our desk, they're all low on potassium. So it wouldn't hurt a person to put on 20 or 50 extra pounds. So no big deal there. So those are the two biggest factors. I guess one last thing I would say is if your ground is so hard that you literally can't get the soil probe into it, well, that would be the case where I'd say, you know, maybe soil testing right now isn't going to work for you. But it's interesting that you, you called on this. I had an agronomist from eastern Minnesota that called me last night and said, okay, how, how dry is too dry for anhydrous? And I said, well, tell me about your soil. And he goes, well, actually, when I get down to where I'd probably put the anhydrous on a few inches deep, I can kind of make a ball with the, the soil. There's some moisture there. And I said, oh, that's not dry the way I'd look. I mean, we're... Some of these people, like here in South Dakota, it's unbelievably dry, where they've got like 10 bushel corn, and I mean, it's disaster. So fortunately, we're not quite that dry in our farm. But the big thing, like when you start talking about anhydrous, is we just want it to seal up. So I told this agronomist last night, I said, number one, with the moisture that sounds like you have uh, uh, in your area, you're probably going to be fine. Number two, what a lot of guys will do is they will go a little bit deeper than normal, uh, just so they have more soil that could potentially seal up. And number three, if it seals up at all, I mean, you're in good shape. But if you smell it, if you see it coming out of the ground, obviously it's not sealing and that's a real problem for anhydrous. So anyway, that's probably more information than, than you were looking for, but uh, I just thought I'd tell you about some of the things because I've gotten so many questions about literally this week. Um, I, I mean, apparently a lot of people are getting done with harvest and going on to soil tests because wow, are we getting soil test questions in this week? Sure, sure. I, I guess, you know, when you mentioned about just the pH being lower as far as yep. I've got some soil that uh, needs, uh, might need some dolomitic lime sure. or calcitic lime and yep. just being able to determine the difference if, you know, if there might be something that was skewed more so on the calcium side, more so than the magnesium and just was kind of thinking about that. Yeah, you know, there there might be something slight. I don't think it's anything major. And that's the big thing that I try to... It, encourage people when I'm encouraging people to still soil test it's like look are you going to see little differences because it's a drought yes but it, it, I mean trying to decide calcitic lime versus dolomitic lime a lot of times it's pretty cut and dried so if I've got seven percent magnesium in my soil 
you know, there's there, there's no chance I'm going to say, oh, calcitic lime's the best. I got to get some more magnesium out. I want the dolomitic stuff. On the other hand, if I'm at 20% magnesium, it's like, no, I don't need dolomitic. I need calcitic. So what's your exact situation? Do you have a specific question on this? Where are you at with base saturation, magnesium, and calcium? Well, I really kind of thought that's probably what your answer would be, Brian. But, uh, you know, most of the areas, if I if I know that they probably needed the dolomitic, I was I didn't yep. think it was going to skew it that much. No. But I've got some, you know, 10 to 12s in, in some fairly, in some 7 to 10 CEC soils. So, sure. you know, I'm probably, you know, probably thinking dolomitic yep. there anyway. Yes, exactly. Let's put it this way, Keith. Once you actually do some of these soil tests, if you're worried about anything, you're concerned, just send them off to us radio at agphd.com. We'll take a look at them and get back to you on that. There's no problem at all. Okay, very good. All right. Hey, thanks for the call, Keith. Appreciate it. Appreciate the time. You bet. Yeah, what he's talking about there, that's it, it is concerning and it's it is a little bit relative. Like I was saying for the farmer or the agronomist that called me last night out of eastern Minnesota, um, dry in eastern Minnesota is different than dry in central South Dakota. Because in central South Dakota, they normally get one-third the rainfall that eastern Minnesota has. So eastern Minnesota could be 10 inches short on precip, and they're like, oh, my goodness, it's terribly dry. Well, for some of these guys, I mean, they don't even get 10 inches of precip in a drought year in central South Dakota. So so anyway, we're it's all a little bit relative. Which kind of brings me back to our topic for today, which was cation exchange capacity. It's the same type of thing here heavy ground versus light ground now we have a reading i don't really know what the reading is for soil moisture so i uh, unfortunately on a soil test we don't have that or at least i don't know what that would be for a test it would be kind of nice to know but i'll put it this way if you're burning off shanks every few hundred acres or something like that because it's so unbelievably dry um yeah that's that's a little different than having halfway's normal soil moisture We'll dive back into more of your questions coming up right after this. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its cornhead should be the same. 
especially when it costs you yield. Drago corn heads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears. Self-adjusting deck plates save kernels. Longer knife rollers reduce trash. And aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other corn head works like a Drago or pays you back like one. See more features and find your Drago dealer at dragotech.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions at radio at agphd.com if you'd like to email, or if you just want to call us and talk, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, I gave you my question, oh. unfortunately. <laughs> I was trying to hand Brian uh, some soil tests here, and I actually handed away the question to you. This one comes in from central Minnesota. Uh, this is from Brandon. And he said, all right, guys, I got soil samples back on a new farm that I bought. Five acre grids. I see that I need to lime. I'm wondering how much ag lime should I apply and what pH should I shoot for? I was thinking shooting for the range of 6.3 to 6.5. Uh, local suppliers got 60% calcium ag lime and a 1,200 EMP. Uh, yield gold, 215 bushel corn, 65 bushel beans, if it matters. Uh, but anyway, just curious, how do you guys make lime recommendations on your own farm? Which pieces of information do you like? Sure. Okay. First of all, on the lime, what I like to see is how fine is that material? How much goes through a 60 mesh? And quite frankly, I'd like to know how much goes through a 100 mesh screen because I want the finest material I can possibly find. That will give me the most response and the fastest response. Normally, we will, we will figure it takes about three years for lime to break down. But we've been in a drought. For us now, it's probably going to take four or five years. There are other areas around the world that have lots of rainfall, lots of heat. They're growing crop year-round. Well, it might take a lot less time for that lime to break down. So it's another thing for you to consider. So in central Minnesota, I'm going to say three, four years, something like that, it's going to take for your lime to fully break down. But again, if your lime is finer, it will break down just a little bit faster and give you a little more response. That's great. All right. So we need soil pH. And here's what he gave us. He's got a range of 5.1 to 6.1. He said, yeah, five-acre grids. It looks more like five-acre zones to me. But one point is 5.1, and that's the lowest. And the point straight north of that one is 6.1. I hope you understand where I'm going with this if you're starting to connect the dots now. 
in my opinion, five acre grids are too big for liming because does his 6.1 pH need me any more lime? I seriously doubt it. I don't know though, because I don't know what the the soil conditions are there. We were just talking about drought or at least dry soils and that a soil pH will read a little bit lower than normal. So could a 6.1 actually be about a 6.3? Yeah, it sure could. And what we're finding is like with soybeans, the pH is not as important as it is in corn. With corn, once we get up into that 6.3, 6.5 kind of range, we're, we're generally just fine. So honestly, on our farm, we don't even lime unless the pH is below 6 in a normal moisture year or unless it's below, let's call it about 5.5 or 5.6 in a drought year. Okay, so that's the first thing I'd say. We, we would want smaller grids so we can be a little bit more accurate here because what I fear is in his 5.1 area, there might be a spot somewhere in that five acre grid or zone that's actually down into the fours. I also fear that in that 6.1 zone, there could be something that's already 6.8. And if you put more lime out there, now we might actually see yield loss by pushing that pH over seven. All right, how do you make the recommendation exactly? There are charts that you can use so we will, at our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this winter, if you want to attend that, um, then we kind of go through this in a little bit more detail. But there certainly are charts out there. So I'm looking at one right now. And let's just say I was shooting for a 6 pH. What, what we use to make that lime recommendation is what's called the buffer index or buffer pH. Well, in his area where it was 5.1, his buffer index or buffer pH is 6.0. So if I look at my little chart here, and let's say we were trying to take this soil pH from 5.1 up to 6.0, the chart says I need 3,140 pounds of calcium carbonate. Okay. Now, if let's say that I've got a an ECCE or effective calcium carbonate equivalent of 50%, well, then I've got to take that number and divide by 50%. So let, let's just say it was that for easy figuring. That would mean I need about 6,000 pounds or about three tons of lime. But uh, let's see, we don't have his actual test on lime. And I'm, I don't even know. No, nope, don't have the lime test. No. It, so yeah, with EMP, I don't know how that converts over. I do know how it converts over with ECCE. But anyway, there are charts out there. Otherwise, just talk to the lab that ran your tests. And what I'll often say is send the lab your lime sample also so then they can see exactly what it is. Rather than taking somebody's word for it, oh, it's this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this, get an actual sample, send it into the lab, have them analyze it, and tell you whether it's good or bad and tell you exactly how much it would take. And there you go. But definitely you want a variable rate stuff because if you put on the same rate in the 5.1 area as, let's say, a 5.7 area, you're probably not going to be happy in the end. As for that pH range that you're targeting, I like to target a little bit on the low side. I can always put more lime out. If I exactly. overdo it, it's not, it's not good. It so a long time you said 6.3 to 6.5. I, I usually shoot for like 6.2 and think, okay, if I overdo it a little bit, I'll probably end up in that 6.3 to 6.5 and that'll be okay. I can, I can handle that. But if I shoot for 6.5 and I overdo it, now all of a sudden I'm up towards 7 and that, that can be a problem. 
Okay, I uh, get this one in from Trent, and and get summaries there up in the top left is a min max average uh, chart, which I really like. I, I like that on soil tests. Uh, anyway, Trent said attached are uh, some results here. The micronutrient ones are aggregated, and they don't show up correctly on this map. So don't don't beat me up on that. Uh, but he said just kind of curious uh, what you guys think about this and what you would do if this was your field. Okay, I assume we're talking DTPA tests here. That's uh, that's my guess. So we'll we'll run with that assumption. So when I when I take a look at this, the the first thing we always check is soil pH. And if I look at soil pH, it's five point four all the way up to seven point four. Okay, so here again, it's got variability, just like the last question we were answering. The five point four pH, I absolutely want to get a little bit of lime out there. The seven point four. You know what? Honestly, I'd make sure I have my drainage taken care of. And as long as I do, I would put out just a little bit, and I'm not saying a lot, but just a little bit of elemental sulfur. So maybe 50 pounds, maybe 100 pounds, something like that. Don't get carried away, but put a little bit out there. That'll help acidify some of your nutrients. It could lower your pH just a little bit, but even if it doesn't, you should get at least a little bit of response. I'm just looking at where the lowest spot. Yeah, it looks to me like one of the lowest spots in the field. That's where some of the the pH is about the highest. So that's a lot of times what happens is we have poor drainage there. Get that drainage fixed first. That's that's a big key. Okay. Uh, beyond that, let's see. Base saturation potassium, most people are low and here too. As high as 4.4, so that's great. But 1.4%, that's absolutely impacting your yield. And the big reason why we want soil tests is it helps us identify where to invest the dollars and where I'm going to get a good return on investment versus the opposite, where spending money is wasting money. So, for example, if I've got, like, for his phosphorus levels, so it says right here for his P1 Bray, his max is 57. Okay, could I potentially get by this year without putting on crazy amounts of phosphorus there? Uh, probably. His his highest on the P2 or strong Bray is 124. So there's a fair amount of phosphorus there. But on the other hand, his lowest spots, P1 or weak Bray, it's 10, 10 parts per million. And, and the lowest on the P2 is 17. So I don't care what kind of crop you're raising. If you don't do something to get those levels up, it's going to hurt your yield. So I know fertilizer is high priced, but I'm going to stick my fertilizer dollar in those low, low testing spots, and it's going to give me a good return on investment, most likely. Other than that, once we address those those major nutrients, I'm, I'm sure you're working on your nitrogen, and we've talked about phosphorus and potassium, then we get down to the secondary nutrients. And I look at sulfur. The range is four parts per million to seven parts per million. That In both of those cases, and don't take this the wrong way. I'm not giving you a hard time. We have some of the same kind of stuff, but I'll just tell you that's terrible. That's hurting your yield in every spot in the field. So you got to get some sulfur out there. And then we start looking at the micronutrients. I mean, boron, we're talking three tenths to four tenths. That's negatively yield impacting. Copper is 0.9 to 1.3 and zinc is 1.3 to 2.1. So for all those, I'd try to find some kind of blend product. You don't have to get carried away and spend lots of dollars, but if you spent 10 bucks on a blend of boron, copper, and zinc, it's going to help your yield. So those are some of the things that we look at all the time. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.